Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Hey, it's Ed here talking digital voices. So glad you joined us for this podcast. And today we're going to look at digital voices from the perspective of technology and specifically with Adobe. So Adobe's been one of the leaders in digital transformation. Certainly, I think everyone has used an Adobe product or still does today. I know I do. So thrilled to have the digital strategy leader from Adobe with us. But before we get there, I was just thinking about my first interactions with Adobe because there was this time, and in fact, I hate to say this, but healthcare, we're still kind of stuck in this time where we would digitize a lot of different things, but at the very end, we would still print out. We would still have a printout and then you had to sign it and then you'd have to scan it and then get it back into the, whatever the single source of truth or the database was. And Adobe came out with this amazing capability and then they had an app for it where you could just sign documents electronically. So it made no sense, right, that you would have digital documents that you would then print out and have people sign only then to re-digitize them and try to match them up with the original book of record. So it's crazy. So I've always been thankful to Adobe for that simple yet, you know, I can't say career changing or life changing, but it made things a lot more simple. And that's really the goal of digital is to really simplify the complex. And still today, I hate to say it, but there's some organizations where you still do that. Everything's digital, except you still print out certain documents. You can't electronically sign them. And it's it's not a good experience. And so thankful to Adobe for, even though that's just one very small thing that Adobe does, thankful for that. So that's my sort of first experiences with Adobe. So our guest to get today is Frederick Bay, and Frederick, as I mentioned, is the lead strategist for all things digital, but also has a, a unique background in that he came from pharmaceutical industry as well, having done some work at Pfizer and a lot of consulting. So Frederick, welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. It's great to be part of the show. And Frederick, you know, part of the stick to this show is we ask first about music, because everyone, that's kind of a universal language, is is all about music. So tell us about your musical taste. What do you like to listen to when you chill or have downtime? Yeah, I have a pretty eclectic taste, um, but lately I've been listening a lot to Pink Floyd. Uh, that's something I listened religiously to as a teenager. <laughs> then I stopped for many years, until some months ago, I guess because of COVID, uh, in a spate of nostalgia, I, I, I visit, revisited the music that I used to listen to and, and refound Pink Floyd. So I've been listening to a lot of that lately. No, that's great. No, I'm a big, uh, yeah, when I was a, when I was in school, not to date myself, but I think it was The Wall was the big album of the year. Um, and yeah, Pink Floyd's great. Uh, very creative uh, musicians. Uh, they they would definitely were different than a lot of their peers at the time. So, uh, Frederick, what what is your, what would you say is your like life passion or mantra? Maybe it's, uh, could be life, could be business, but what is, you know, that one sort of North Star that you sort of cling to that you that you hold true? Yeah, I think the red thread in my life uh, and, and what really energizes me is, is learning new things and finding answers or new solutions to important problems. Right? So I worked in physics and we can get to this later. And that's what drove me into physics and physics research. And also what's really energized me about healthcare and life sciences. 
Um, and um, I've successfully let my life and past be driven by passion, which has made for a really interesting and, and exciting journey. The, the only rule, single rule I try to stick to is, is to pursue things that open up more opportunities than, than they close. Otherwise, you know, I'll go for whatever, uh, whatever I, I find exciting. Yeah, that that's awesome. And the reason and I think my listeners know this, but the reason I ask that question is because there's a lot of our listeners. So most of them are on the digital officers that work in digital, in pharma, payer, some are patients uh, on the provider side, big tech. And some of the listeners who are maybe early career, they often look up to leaders such as yourself and other guests that are on the show and ask themselves, you know, how did they get there? What? How can I replicate that kind of success? And I think the learnings that we're getting just as short and simple as they are from leaders like you when asking them about their sort of life message or life purpose is very informative and instructive. And, you know, the things that you mentioned, you know, about, you know, following your passion and being a lifelong learner and pursuing opportunities that don't lead to dead ends, essentially, uh, uh, that that those are really important things. So thank you for sharing that. So let's let's get into your story a bit. Frederick, can you share with us? Uh, something about yourself personally and professionally and sort of how you got to where you are today. Yes, and I certainly couldn't have anticipated where I ended up today. So <laughs> yeah. I, I want to start with that. Um, so I grew up in a small provincial town in Denmark. In fact, on the grounds of uh, regional hospitals where both of my parents worked. And, and one thing I, I often like to tell uh, clients and people I work with is that as a teenager, I swore I was going to have nothing to do with healthcare. Uh, <laughs> at the time, I, I, I really loved math and physics, and I was really good at it. I was on the national math team of Denmark and oh. decided quite early on in high school that I wanted to go down the route of physics. Um, but uh, before I did that, I graduated somewhat young from, from high school. I, I also had a grown, grown really interested in French language and culture and uh, decided to spend a year at university in France before um, I planned to return to study physics and math in Denmark. Um, it, was, it was challenging. <laughs> But also a fantastic experience. In fact, I came to Paris on a bus about a month before I was scheduled to start with just two suitcases. Wow. And, uh, you know, struggled to find for a month and a half to find a permanent place to live. Um, but I had a great time there and uh, ultimately decided, you know, I was not ready to return to Denmark. I wanted to try try something different and uh, ended up applying um, to a university in the UK, something called Imperial College of Science, Technology and Medicine in London. And I'm not really, I didn't know a lot about it. I had had it uh, recommended to me by uh, by a family friend and ended up being accepted a couple of weeks later and, and oh. moved to London, studied there and uh, really found that I, I love physics and maths. And so I wanted to do more of it and uh, ended up um, you know, applying to PhD programs. And because I had a good friend in, in London who uh, was accepted uh, together with me at, at Yale to study chem, he was studying chemistry, I was studying physics. I ended up going there and did a PhD in elementary uh, particle physics. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, and I liked the research a lot. It was, um, you know, physics Physics is amazing uh, for, for what it's accomplished. But after 11 years in the academic world, I, I was quite curious, to be honest, about what lay beyond the ivory tower. And this was at the time, uh, you know, just after the first tech revolution, and strategy consultancy like McKinsey and the Boston Consulting Group had begun actively recruiting among science PhDs. Mm. Um, I think mainly because they wanted to find people who, uh, you know, their clients would see as peers, not because we were necessarily the PhDs would necessarily do different work. 
Um, and while I can't say that I, I fully understood what, what these <laughs> companies were doing, it sounded really intriguing. And um, I also have to say they had much better slides than I had ever created as a yeah. physicist. So I decided <laughs> to interview. <laughs> and soon after, stood with offers from both uh, BCG and McKinsey. Um, and when I joined, I mean, I thought, you know, I was going to be working on something related to physics, to tech or to telecom. Um, but um, at the time that I, I joined a BCG in New York, um, Pfizer and Pharmacia were merging, two big pharma companies. And um, I got staffed on that uh, because there was a huge demand. And despite my misgivings about healthcare as a teenager, I found I really, really liked the industry, its culture, and, and most importantly, its mission. So, you know, I had the opportunity to work on a few other industries while I was in consulting. Uh, and though the, the work was quite similar, it's just I just never found it as meaningful. And, and it really went from there. Um, so while I, I was first at PCG, then got recruited by McKinsey, actually, back in, in Denmark, that was trying to grow their pharma practice, and I got wind of the fact that I was doing pharma work. Um, um, but while there, I worked a lot for Pfizer and uh, ended up being offered a, a really interesting job uh, to help evolve the company's portfolio strategy and footprint. And uh, that led to a lot of opportunities and, and it uh, led to me spending uh, in the end nine years at Pfizer. And uh, towards the end, I ended up um, joining the leadership team of, uh, of the biopharma business as head of strategy and, and of business innovation, where, among others, I ended up being responsible for, uh, for digital acceleration. Uh, I then left Pfizer uh, for a brief stint uh, in, in a pharma strategy consultancy, uh, but was quickly approached by Adobe. Um, which led to to the role I'm in now. Yeah, that that's really a fascinating background. And, you know, the producer and I, Daniel, we were talking right before you came on that it's really important to get some of that foreign experience. So, like, you jumped on a bus to Paris. And, you know, <laughs> that as it, and that's adventurous, which is fun, but it gives you this life experience and this global perspective that's really valuable in your career. No, I, so, I agree. So. Uh, it's helped me a lot. Uh, it's given me a lot of flexibility in, in, in working with people and understanding uh, people and, and given me the ability to adapt my style, um, you know, quite uh, quite a few different environments. Yeah, I, I was uh, born and raised, and we talked about this before, in Germany, and I just find how helpful that's been my whole life. And I went to French schools, and so I spoke multiple languages before I spoke English, and it just helped shape who I am today. And so I always encourage, especially, again, for any of our listeners who are maybe earlier mid-career to take advantage of any opportunity you have to go global and because it just helps shape you as a person and as a professional. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk a little bit more about Adobe now. So I want to talk about Adobe and maybe you could share with, with our listeners the full breadth and depth of Adobe because it's not just like my little experience that I talked about or PDFs that everyone knows about, but it's much broader than that. So I, I would love to hear a little bit about Adobe and then talking about Digital transformation, which, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems that's what Adobe is as a company, is a digital transformation company. Absolutely. So, you know, the mission of Adobe is to change the world through digital experiences. Um, and, and we do this through three sets of solutions or clouds, as we call them. Um, so we have our creative cloud, which includes uh, you know, well-known tools such as Photoshop and Illustrator. Uh, but also a broad range of other solutions um, that, that help everyone uh, from, you know, starting out with demanding professionals to just those uh, who are beginning or want to be creative uh, as amateurs make uh, whatever they want, wherever they want to do it. Um, so that's a creative cloud. 
we then have a document cloud and you refer to this um you know it's, that's where adobe got its start actually right. with pdf uh, and um, it was, I think, probably the first, or one of the first companies, you know, to take a step to to try and transform, you know, paper to digital. Yeah. Um, and um, the document cloud is, is now again, of course, a lot broader than it, it was at the outset, uh, and includes a tool, includes tools for for people to scan, edit, share, sign uh, documents anywhere and anytime. So be it on your desktop, be it on your mobile phone, or any other device. Um, so those were the clouds we started with, um, but in the last 10 to 12 years, we have added uh, what's called the Adobe Experience Cloud. And that was really added because uh, we wanted to take our other clouds digital online and go direct to consumer. So we needed the technology to do that. And that ultimately led to a, a um, you know rapidly growing business. Uh, and what Adobe Experience Cloud is, is a comprehensive digital marketing platform. Um, that you know lets businesses harness their data and and harness it to deliver personalized experiences and helps them you know digitally transform um, ultimately. And a, a the Adobe Experience Cloud um, may not be as known because it's more of a B two B play to uh, you know to to the listeners who are not working directly in in that area, but it is used extensively by the largest brands in retail and high tech and financial services. Uh, to power their digital experiences, and increasingly through the work that uh, we've been doing over the last couple of years, also in healthcare and life sciences. Yeah, so let's let's switch gears then. So now we know a little bit more about Adobe and your amazing background. So I think our listeners be interested to hear from your perspective. We'll start first on the provider side, but then given your life sciences experience, we'd love to hear what you think there. So where do you think we're headed uh, with digital transformation? Uh, in on the provider side, you know what what's the what are you thinking at Adobe? Where we're headed, and in, in, in a mix of your personal professional view. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that digital is is going to play a big role on many many fronts. Um, you know, where we focus the most uh, with our technology is is around um, productivity. You know, from a document cloud perspective, and and also in terms of our experience cloud. You know, enabling. Uh, connections with the physicians, with the providers in the network, um, you know, with the, engaging the staff, um, you know, across across the network. But then uh, on the um, on on the experience side, a lot of it is obviously around is around patients, and it's around patient acquisition. It's about patient access, and also around um, ongoing engagement. Um, and um, you know, I think where we are headed ultimately, I mean, it's, it's going to be slow. It's not an industry that transforms quickly, but it's, it's more towards solutions that for, for patients that look more like what you would see in, in travel, for example. In fact, I work with one of our partners, Change Healthcare and Correct, creating exactly that, which we are jointly marketing uh, to provide a system, something called the Shopbook Pay Solution, uh, where you can go and, and easily find physicians uh, with ratings, with recommendations, personalized recommendations, you can book them and you can pay uh, right there in, in a way that's, uh, you know, very similar to what you would do if you're booking a, a flight with Delta. Yeah. Do you think just a quick aside is I notice whenever I travel to Europe or it, maybe even other non-European countries, but for sure for Europe, that they're usually, I don't know, I'm going to say three years ahead. Like in, let's take retail as an example. Like I would, you know, I'm used to in the United States where mm -hmm. I have a meal Someone brings a piece of paper. Uh, I then review the piece of paper, put in a credit card. They then collect it, walk away, right. do something magic, 
come back. It's a like a five or six step process. It's paper right. intensive. So in Europe, it, this had to be, I want to say, a trip I took back to my homeland maybe seven or eight years ago, where the 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 waiter came up to me and he had everything on the phone, and he took right. my and it was done right there. Completed the transaction in 30 seconds. No paper, unless I wanted it, uh, which, I, of course, I wouldn't. Um, so they're definitely ahead. Are, are there areas that you think were ahead in other geographies that haven't arrived yet, maybe to North America? Uh, and it could be healthcare or non-healthcare. But do you find that to be true, or is my experience with uh, my little waiter experience an anomaly? No, I, I think I think it's I think it's very true. I mean, we can start with Europe first, right? And we can start with with COVID. I mean, some of it is cost enabled by the fact that you have large national healthcare systems. But let's say the vaccine rollout. So I have you know, an elderly an elderly dad there, and and the way that it works is that they have all the health data, obviously centrally. Yeah. They have all the demographic data centrally, and every every citizen in Denmark has an e-box, a digital in mailbox where they receive their tax documents mm. and all other documents from the authorities, including, you know, an email with an invitation to schedule a COVID vaccine when it's time. Um, so, you know, you'll wait, you'll go in and check, and then ultimately you'll get, you know, some options for appointments and go in and click. And that's, you know, how, how it got scheduled uh, for, for, uh, for my dad. I also think, you know, when it comes to virtual care, now, it's accelerated a lot here, obviously, with COVID, um, but there was a lot more experimentation with that um, in, in Denmark um, than, than there has been in the, in the U.S. Yeah. So I think there are a number, a number of areas. And, I, and one thing that struck me in thinking of another region was I, I went to a conference uh, at Partners Health a couple of years ago around AI in healthcare. And, you know, we had lots of representatives from, um, you know, tech companies and, of course, also from all the big provider in, in the U.S. come up and talk about the experiments they were doing. And then we had a couple of VCs from China come in and talk about what was actually happening. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and I think, what, what, so there were some questions being asked as to why is that? Why is that so much faster? And they gave some good answers. Um, you know, one, obviously, there are restrictions around data that may not be as severe. Right. Uh, but more importantly, what they said is, um, you know, first of all, we have a shortage of skilled physicians. So there is a real need. And, and um, there is, you know, there is a need to treat pe people who are not being treated effectively, now, um, which, um, you, you know, was uh, on impetus. And, you know, we've gone through so much change. Our physicians have gone through so much change in their lifetime in terms of how just their general life and in terms of how they practice medicines. They're used to it. They're used to adapting. They're much faster at it. They're much more receptive. But it was it was a really big contrast between yeah. you know theory from some of the biggest systems here and and reality in China. Yeah, yeah, you know, because oftentimes I talk about and we may in fact talk about a little bit later, you know, best practices from other industries. But it just dawned on me as we were speaking, you know, best practices from other regions. Uh, so we always think that you know from a North America centric point of view, we always think that we're perhaps the most advanced, but indeed we're not. And I think yes, you're right by requirement, some other regions in the world, they have to leapfrog. They can't. It's like uh, with India, with uh, t telephone, with telephony. You know, they didn't ever build up the same infrastructure we had with wires, overhead wires, things. They went straight to cell and um, or to mobile. And so I think we need to look at other regions as well as other industries as we think about digital transformation and healthcare. So. 
I took us, Frederick, I took us way off. Uh, so I'll bring us back. Let's talk about uh, life sciences. So like part of our audience are, are from pharma and you have that experience with Pfizer. And we just talked about just to re, reframe everything. We were just talking about digital transformation in healthcare um, and where we're headed. Uh, what about from health, life sciences? Where, where do you see us headed with life sciences? Yeah, I mean, I think digital transformation is really quickly accelerating, and especially in the wake of COVID. I mean, we've just seen an explosion of, of business, um, in, especially in the pharma space, and, and it's really impacting most of the value chain. I have to say, right, it, it, it took a long time to get started, and, and maybe to, to the point you're just making, I think the main reason was that the industry was doing well. There was no compelling reason to change, and mm-hmm. change is hard. Um, and for five, ten, five, ten years ago, I mean, there was a whole lot of skepticism about what digital digital could really accomplish in the life sciences, especially in the commercial side. And it was, you know, mostly a gig for the IT department. Um, but now, um, especially in the wake of COVID, but even starting a bit before, there's a general consensus that digital is, is really important. And, you know, one sign of that is that many of the large pharma companies in recent years added chief digital officers yeah. to their senior leadership team, something they didn't have before. Um so far, right, uh, especially up until COVID, most of the focus has been on process and, and productivity uh, improvement, especially in the area of clinical trials, which has been, you know, a perennial headache of, of yeah. the pharma industry, uh, you know, with challenges around getting a, a return on investment, a decent return on investment, if even a positive return on investment. And I've seen a lot of progress there. In fact, we're doing quite a bit in that uh, arena as well as of, of recent uh, with our Adobe tools. Um, but with COVID, of course, uh, you know, representatives uh, were not no longer able to meet face to face with customers the way that they have um, they used to. Um, and so that's led to changes also in terms of uh, you know digital engagement uh, with healthcare professionals, and of course, um, you know, also with patients in the U.S. where that is allowed. And most of the companies we are working with now are. are really trying hard to go beyond the traditional sales model and, and create you know more of a personalized hybrid uh, engagement model it includes digital as well as more traditional uh, touch points now it's it's a big you know it's a big journey <laughs> uh, yeah. and a major change for the industry which requires in fundamental rethinking of many approaches um, and importantly changing of core processes especially things like you know content creation and review that's worked in a certain way and where there's a lot of anxiety about changing it, um, you know, especially from, from, from the people who are ultimately responsible on the med- med- medical, legal, and regulatory side. Yeah, I, those are really good examples and areas, and I, and I can definitely relate to those as well from some of my conversations with uh, CDOs on the, on the pharma side. So as we, well, you know, you mentioned something that caught my attention as well, Frederick, and that was how some of the payers are now hiring CDOs. And we saw that in other industries. Then it came to health and life sciences. So do you have a point of view? Have you spoken to enough of them or know of of enough of them, the CDOs that came over? Where did they come from? Generally, what kind of backgrounds did they have? Did they come from within life sciences or did they come externally? It's a it's a mixture. I mean, different companies have, have made different choices. Um, so, you know, if we look at life sciences, like Novartis hired somebody, uh, you know, came from from the music industry and the um, and the grocery industry, uh, whereas Pfizer hired somebody who came from Quest Diagnostics. So it's a mixture. Yeah. Different choices have been made. 
Um, you, you know, I think um, there are definitely there can be benefits to both. I've, I've often, you know, when I've talked to people who come from outside the industry, especially from retail uh, focused areas, they're, they're often frustrated and some of them have ended up leaving <laughs> because it's so different and, and they feel, you know, treading a bit in molasses. It's maybe a bit easier to understand for people who are a li little closer to the industry. Uh, but I've seen value to both and I've seen, you know, both types of examples. Yeah, it's it's the same on the provider side. So I have several friends who just rose up within the provider side to become CDOs and others have come from outside, including the CDO of Walt Disney came over to serve as a CDO of one of the bigger health systems in uh, South Florida. So, yeah, what I always tell people is learn. So like you talked about in the very beginning in terms of a mantra and just being a lifelong learner. And that is, if you if you don't know too much about digital transformation and you're in a leadership position, then then just learn. And then you can always bring in others from outside of your industry who have some experience to help round out your team and be more cross-functional. Yeah, I mean, something we did or I did at Pfizer when we when I when led the first um, you know, digital acceleration exercise there was to partner externally. I found that tremendously valuable. So. Uh, we engaged with Procter & Gamble. That was a good example uh, for Pfizer. It was a traditional, uh, you know, company that had transformed itself ahead of the pharma industry, or at least gone some way in transforming itself. And the lessons from there resonated a lot. And then we partnered, you know, with Google also closely. And we actually set up a program where we sent, you know, some of our uh, young, um, most energetic marketers uh, for what we call an externship for a week to Google. Um, where they would take problems that they were facing, you know, business challenges, and work with Google personnel to, to solve them. And we actually got quite a few ideas out, out of that, as well as a lot of energy and a lot of inspiration. Yeah, that, that's a great example that we've not shared before. So thank you for bringing that one up. And it reminds me, going back to our, our common European roots, I don't know what it was like in Denmark, but I bet it was similar. By the Definitely in junior high, you had already spent an exchange, you already were on an exchange program to another country. Uh, for a week um, and sometimes longer. So we went to uh, France and did exchange. Uh, I don't know if it was the same in Denmark or not. Did you do such programs at a young age? I I haven't personally. Okay. Uh, I mean, we traveled with school, but I, have, I haven't done exchange programs. But I think, I mean, our orientation was very different, um, especially in Denmark. I mean, you, we were very aware that we were a small country surrounded by much bigger countries and we are very aware that you know it's it's quite career and life limiting if you don't look beyond the borders and if you don't learn languages um you, you know beyond your own yeah yeah that's true but yeah i love that idea frederick about doing those externships and there's definitely ways to advance yourself if you don't have the ha had the capability right. or luxury of working in a different industry so as we wrap up i just want to talk about and we hit on some of these already so any sort of other best practices, you know, Adobe works in every industry and we already talked about a few different uh, best practices, but is there anything else left, Frederick, that perhaps we haven't talked about where other verticals or other companies are doing some pretty advanced things that you see at Adobe and that might work in healthcare? Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, mo many of the things they're doing uh, can work in healthcare. It may take a little finessing and, and uh you know, some negotiations with lawyers on both sides <laughs> to make it happen. But I, I see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity. I mean, when I talk to my 
retail uh, friends, I, I mean, they do personalization, but they don't have nearly the data that we have, for example, in the pharma space uh, on HDPs. I mean, it's, it's a bit scary. I hope the general public doesn't quite understand what we know about our customers. Yeah. But you can be, you can afford to be because of the value and you're able to, because of the data, to be extremely targeted and actually create individual journeys uh, you know, for physicians. And similarly with patients. You know, if you have, I mean, that's true in the provider space too, but also if you are have you know, patients who are in a cancer drug or a, an immunology drug, they have tremendous value and you can engage them, you know, basically one-to-one and you have lots of information to do that with. Now, again, there are restrictions, sort of HIPAA restrictions and other uh, restrictions around uh, privacy, but there's tremendous opportunity, uh, uh, tremendous opportunity to engage. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think the common theme that we've been talking about is really the experience and how do we take all these digital transformation capabilities and really focus it on the experience of that patient, uh, their family, also the clinicians that are involved. And then on the pharma side, I mean, a lot of it is is very similar. So this has been super, super informative. I've really enjoyed our conversation, Frederick. Thank you for being part of the dialogue. No, I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun to discuss these topics, and I, I, I really, I'm really optimistic. I have to say about the future of healthcare. Right? I think it's you know our understanding of health and disease has traditionally been very limited. It's been very fragmented. I think the progress of digital, as well as you know, the incredible progress in biology that we're witnessing, you know, is is, is really really promising. And I've taken heart in COVID. Um, in what I've seen COVID and the ability of the industry to to change and respond when it really has to. It's been been pretty amazing. It's uh, certainly changed some of my beliefs about what pharma companies and other players are able to do. Yeah, Frederick, it actually did the same for me because I've always been one of those individuals that was like, we're not moving fast enough. We got to move faster. You know, we need to digitally transform quicker and quicker. And healthcare, as we already stated, has sort of been uh, a little bit of a laggard. But COVID did show just how resilient and how agile both the providers and the pharma companies have been. And uh, it's given right. me a lot of renewed hope and optimism. And now we just have to keep that inertia moving forward and, and not, not let down our guard and go back to the way things were comfortable. So uh, excellent, Frederick. No. Well, we're thankful for companies like Adobe as well that help push us and bring new ideas. So uh, again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. That wraps it up for Digital Voices. Hope you found this conversation as both encouraging and enlightening as I did. Come back, spend more time with us the next time we drop a pod. Take care. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff, and we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. 
If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.